Good morning. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, if you want to turn there. Acts chapter 17. I have to tell you, I, I feel like I've been preparing for this sermon for a long time. And I just wrote it last night, or yesterday. So, And I know you'll be like, boy, he is unprepared. I feel like so prepared and unprepared at the same time. I have to tell you, that I've not experienced this in a long time. But I have been literally uh, looking into this passage of Scripture and contemplating and thinking very deeply, in fact, probably deeper than I've thought in a long time. And so my research is just like a lot. But trying to put down all that is going on within me through all that research was really tough. And uh, so... We'll see how this goes, right? Uh, you get to be the judge on all of that. But uh, hopefully the Lord uh, uh, had his way, and we will get something good out of this. But I get nervous hanging out with really intelligent people. Maybe you don't, right? But, but I do. And not that I don't feel like I can think and follow along on some of what they very intelligent people talk about and say, but... I get nervous because, man, they are so good at articulating themselves and explaining what is actually going on in here. And I just feel like, man, I have such a hard time doing that. Like, I feel like I understand, but then to try to say it, I get hung up. Uh, Jordan Peterson, I was watching a, a video on him this the other day, and he was just talking about this. They asked him something really deep about, you know, God and the Bible, and he's just like, wow, he was just kind of stoned along, and they were, you know, kind of... He felt like they were ridiculing him a little bit. He's just like, well, wait a minute. 90% of the things, we don't even have a clue how to articulate them. We don't know how to say them. We have them. You know, we understand them, and we, we feel like we have a grasp of them, but to try to get that out, you know. And so I'm just like, okay, if he can, he can struggle like that, then, then maybe it's okay that I do too at times. But, but uh, we are in this passage of Scripture where Paul lands in Athens. And Athens is a little different than all the other places that he has been so far, you know. Um, in fact, last week we talked about him being in Berea, uh, Thessalonica the week before. He ends in Athens. And Athens is like a hub of just super brainiacs, intelligent people that just sit around and just contemplate life, you know. Where did it come from? How did it get here? And so this is kind of what I've been kind of embarking on the last few weeks as uh, getting ready for this. So let's just read through some of this. And we'll just kind of walk through it a little bit, but uh, we have some, some scripture to cover today. So in verse chapter 9, 17, verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. I just want to pause this for a second and just think about that for a moment here. What does it mean that his spirit was provoked? I looked up the word. The word literally means to be or become incited or stirred up. It's one's emotions, feelings, reactions. It can be positive or negative. And so I think it was like a, a negative thing, obviously, that Paul's spirit was provoked. And why, what was it that he was provoked about? Well, because he just entered a town and there's these idols like everywhere about him. I don't know if your spirit has ever felt that before, but mine has. In fact, 
I can think of one that some of us, others of us in here can relate to and that we've spoke about before, but my first trip to Haiti, there was a time that my spirit was provoked. And I don't even remember the village for which we went. We went to several villages, but without even knowing the village, I can almost tell you that anybody else that was with us would know exactly what village I'm talking about, that my spirit was provoked. But we took, went into this village and it was just different than all the other villages we went to. And it wasn't that anybody said anything to us. Uh, it was just that as soon as you got there, it's just like something's different and not in a good way. And, and you just felt like there could be a riot that could happen any time. And it's not that people were like um, saying mean things or anything. In fact, Carrie had this baby handed to her as soon as she got into the village, and he, she could not get it back to the parents. In fact, the parents were like, it's yours now, you know? I mean, like, they were being really kind, giving away their kids. But, but there was something wrong about that, too, like, you know? And, and there was something eerie and spiritual that I could not, I don't know how to articulate it, but I guarantee my spirit understood it and felt it. And it was as if you wanted to leave as soon as you could. But then we were there for a reason, and we were there, you know, on behalf of the Lord, and so we were trusting that he was going to protect us, but we were all nervous about it, and Jumi was nervous, and he was trying to get us to get, you know, these things delivered, these boxes delivered, and for us to move out of there soon. That's when, that was the first conversation he really had with me about voodoo and just the power, and that there's some villages that Say they practice voodoo, but they don't really practice voodoo. It's, they don't believe in it. But then there's some places that you know that this is, there is something spiritual going on here that's not just pretend or made up. And so I have to tell you that that was the moment that I think my spirit was provoked. I kind of think that that's what was going on with Paul and his spirit, those emotions that was going on and stirred in him as he saw these idols. You know, there's, this word is also used in 1 Corinthians 13, which is love chapter, right? But it says, love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own. It is not irritable. That word irritable is the same word by provoked. It is not provoked. But anyway, Paul was definitely, his spirit uh, was provoked within him. It goes on in verse 17. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons in the marketplace every day with them, who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and, and some said, Why does the babbler wish, what does the babbler wish to say? And others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they, looked, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring something strange, some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Now, these are people that loved reasoning, and they loved to just understand. I think things like that have always kind of like... I don't know, scared me a little bit. You remember when you were a kid and you were just like, so what is life? 
Like, why am I here? What is, you know, you start thinking, and you're just like, almost get scared with those kinds of thoughts, and you're just like, yeah, let's don't think about that. Let's go play baseball or something, you know. Um, but there's some people that just love to just contemplate, you know, all of these things, and that's what was going on, and Paul was there with them. I want to show you a picture. These are some of the men of our day that are kind of like this. You recognize any of these fellows? I've, I've been kind of listening to, they have these debates. In fact, they've done three of them. Uh, one in London, one in uh, uh, Canada, I think, Vancouver, and I can't remember the other. But the guy on the right, his name is uh, uh, Sam Harris. And he is just, oh my goodness, he is such a brainiac. And I don't really even know, but just a major kind of philosopher about life and, you know, what this is and what that is. He is by far a atheist. Claims to be atheist, gets upset if anybody claims that he is not truly an atheist. But, um, but he does not believe in God one bit. In fact, he would, he is say, would say to you that, um, you know, we make all this up just so that we can, you know, move through life and, and have some kind of... Uh, you know, foundation about us, but, you know, it's all made up stuff. We believe in heaven and hell just because if you believe in a hell, then it keeps you from doing bad things, and if you believe in heaven, it keeps you moving, you know, in a good direction, Um, but it's just all made up stuff. Jesus is just like, you know, he's like a fairy tale, like, like a superhero. That's what he likes to say about Jesus is like, he's like a superhero. He's this He's something that we fictitiously made up just so that we have something to, you know, look to uh, for encouragement and inspiration and things like that. These are just folklords kind of thing. So he is definitely an atheist, but this is how he, he thinks about all religions. The guy in the middle, he is a British author. Uh, his name is Douglas Murray, and uh, he's written a whole lot of things. And um, and then the other guy, I'll just introduce him also, Jordan Peterson. You know, I think a lot of people in our congregation, I've heard people talk about him. He's, if you watch YouTube and those clips and stuff, you will see him a lot. Uh, ben Shapiro is another one that we, he obviously isn't up here with him, but he could be thrown into the same group. He's an Orthodox Jew, you know, has very much morals and worships the same God, but he is kind of a philosopher in some ways too, but... But Jordan Peterson is definitely that, only he believes, out of all the things that he's kind of a psychiatrist and a professor and just, just a brainiac, uh, I mean, crazy. And these, these people are so widely read, it's, it's unreal. I mean, they have everything that you could ever imagine. It is a huge thing for like Plato and Marcus Aurelius and anything that you can think of that is old, they have read through and dived through and under, tried to understand and moved on. Every religion, you know, Buddhism, Hindu, uh, Islamic, Christianity, and, and, you know, read the Bible, all of these different things. And so uh, Jordan Peterson, his conclusion is opposite. It's funny that they're sitting on the opposite, but pretty much opposite of... Sam Harris, and they really go at it the most with these debates, you know, because Sam Harris, just atheist all through and through, um, and then you have Jordan Peterson, who I believe that in everything besides Christianity. Like, I can't, I can't really think that the Bible is not true. In fact, 
One time he was having a conversation with uh, Joe Rogan, and he just basically said that I, out of everything that I understand, like the Bible is the epitome of all truth. And what he means by that is, like, any time somebody says something that is just super smart and true, like Marcus Aurelius, you know, said something way back about, who knows, you know, like about how to, like, if you, you do this, you know, you, you, you give love, you're going to get love. If you, you give, you know, greed, you're going to, you know, get people to, to not share with you. And, you know, like if people were to say something like this, what Jordan Peterson would say is, well, did he originate that thought or is, did it come somewhere even further back than him? And what he would say is that if you ever trace any of these truths that people that have said truths in the past that have always made it through time, the span of time, and it still seems to be true today, did it originate with them? Or where did it? How far back can you track it? And here's what he has concluded is that if Marcus Aurelius or Plato or anybody says something that is what we would consider true even today and, and has lasted the years, it can be traced back even to the Bible back before them. Like, like the Bible is where they actually gleaned that truth from, or at least the Bible was saying it was true before they even thought of it. And so what he was telling Joe Rogan is that he believes that the Bible is the epitome of all truth. Like, you can tell me the truth, but it is not, it's not the root of its truth. The, the root is the Bible, and it seems like they can't go any further back than that. Like, it is, it is the truth of all truth. I just find that fairly fascinating. Of course, Joe Rogan, who is a non-believer, his eyes are just like, wow, okay, okay. Um, And so I I think that's interesting because these two guys are far extremes. Uh, Jordan, I wouldn't consider him a believer completely, definitely not a Christian, and I'll explain that here later, but, but he is definitely believes in God, our God. He believes in the Bible as being this amazing mysterious book that he just, it is, it's mind-blowing to him, right? And then the guy in the middle, Douglas Murray, he is somewhat in the middle. He's, he's always was an atheist forever, but now he just cannot seem to throw that away. I mean, like, he can't cling to that anymore. Um, there's just too much that he has experienced and knows. One of the things he likes to talk about is that, that he can't understand or explain is that when he goes into the Holy Lands, which he does a lot because he is a journalist and an author and has just traveled, you know, a lot, he'll stand in places where he knows that, like, this is where Jesus was tried or this is where he was crucified or this is the garden or whatever. And he doesn't understand this because he's not a believer, but he is overwhelmed with just uh, what transpired here because he knows that that's historical, you know, that nobody argues whether Jesus these things happen or these are true stories and that he is a true person. But he just is blown. Like, he's just like, I don't know, something about that is just, and he doesn't know how, if he understands. So anyway, the point is, is that he's somewhere in the middle of all this. But these are, these are just like giants of people who are thinkers. And they could argue with you all day long about any subject you want to argue because they know so much about everything. Now, one of the problems that I, and of course you know who is I, you know, I, I don't even measure up to them. That's what makes me nervous about having this conversation. But 
But the, one of the things that I glean as I listen and listen and listen and contemplate and think about all of this is that for once, like Sam wants to throw all religions in the same pot and just say that they're all wrong. Well, that just kind of fuels the criticism in a way, right? Because the reality is, is I would agree with him on just about, every, well, I agree with him on everyone besides Christianity, but the reality is, is that a whole lot of those religions have our truth embedded in them, right? I'm like, like um, Buddha said things that, that are true, you know, because Jesus said it, uh, Hindu has said things that are true, and there's, there's truth in Islam. There's some truth. And so you have, what is, if truth is embedded in all of these, and yet all of them can be proven to not be true in everything, then it's really, I can see why Sam Harris is convinced that religions are all made up and not true completely. It's, it's, it's like Eugene Peterson says, it's real easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Uh, it just fuels their criticism because it's hard to really have a conversation because most of what Sam Harris says, I wouldn't disagree, with, especially with all other religions, right? That they're, they are made up. They are man-made. They are false. But I would disagree with it when he says that about Jesus and about Christianity but the reality is, is they could debate, debate this stuff, and they will. They have. And that's the reason I'm bringing this up is Paul is, where is Paul? He's in Athens. And he's sitting around having this conversation with people like this that are just continue to have these conversations. And if the Lord doesn't come back in another thousand years, whoever would be preaching will be having this conversation about people like this because this is just a revolving door you're contemplating and and, you know, philosophizing and having these conversations. And, and there's nothing wrong with having them. But let me tell you something. And there's nothing wrong with you watching them. When, this video right here in particular, it's millions and millions of viewers. And so what I'm assuming is I'm not the only one watching this stuff, that maybe you are watching this stuff too. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there is, there is danger in that. One of the things that you'll see about Paul is that he makes his, he presents his faith. He presents Jesus as being Lord of all. And then he walks away and he is on to, you know, doing his stuff. He does not take a seat and say, you know what, this is where I'm going to settle in. Remember last week, who, who did he leave in Berea? He left Timothy and, and Saul, Saul there to continue in ministry. There was so much fruit to be had, and, they, and it was just a good place. And so Paul goes to Athens. What you don't see is that Paul is like, yeah, this is a place for me. I'm kind of a brainiac. I like to just philosophy this stuff, so let's just hash this around all day long. And the thing is, is that Paul would waste his life, and they would get nowhere because they'd all be doing the exact same thing over and over and over. And like I said, this is the third one, and that's what they'll do until the cows come home. It's just that because it's not super productive. And so Paul does not set in and just take up a seat and set up tent. He moves on. And I think that that's what I think we ought to encourage to some degree, too, is be careful with this. There's nothing wrong with you watching it, but Satan can easily just use this to derail you in some way. But 
But we do need to know why. But this isn't a sermon on apologetics, you know, defending our faith. But let's go on to verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he says, Men in Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of the heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind, mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is usually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being the offspring, God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance of God, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the the dead, some mocked and others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went from their midst and he moved on. So what I want to do just for a a brief period here, and then we're going to watch a video of uh, Jordan Peterson and wrap things up. But I want... I want to kind of just really focus our attention here of what he says in verses 30 through 31. Um, Because I think that that is like super important for us to comprehend in the midst of this. And he says this, he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed... And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So, times of ignorance are gone. It's interesting because what he says here at the beginning when he encounters them, right? These super brainiacs. And he sees all these idols and his spirit is provoked upon him. And... um, I think he already knew that he wasn't going to be really productive here, not like Berea and some of the other places. But, but he decides to go ahead and address them because they invite him to do so. They invite him up to the stage to have a conversation, and so he takes them up on that because he's always looking for opportunities. By the way, the first place he actually went was where? The synagogue, just like we always point out. Okay, um, but... So Paul stands up in the Areopagus, and if you have the King James Version, it's going to say Mars Hill. But this is where he is, stands up, and he addresses these intellectual people, and he says, Hey, I noticed that you have a statue or an idol to an unknown God. You know, the, 
What therefore you worship as an unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. John Piper says this about that. He says, this is where he says to them, what you are ignorant about, I'm going to expose it to you now, right? In other words, the time of your ignorance is over, is what he says. But in verse 30, he makes that very pointed that God has was been ignorant. I mean, he has allowed us to be ignorant for a time, but the time of ignorance is no longer here. Why? Because Jesus is here. I want to walk you through this just for a second here, and then we'll get to it. So in verse 24, he explains that the Lord of heaven and earth is absolutely self-sufficient. In other words, he, he does not need help from any person in the world to exist. He exists on his own, and everybody else exists only because of him. And that's why he says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And then in verse 26, he says, this self-sufficient God who needs no help from you, he has made the nations all from one person, and he has even put boundaries upon where they will occupy. Like, in our world, with the United States here, China here, and he has put these boundaries, and we think that we have put these boundaries, but God has done this all throughout history with people, right? And that's what he goes on in verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods that they will rule or govern, and the boundaries of which they are, are their dwelling places. And then in verse 27, he goes on to say that God's purpose for doing this is so that these nations would begin to seek him. And I find this really interesting in verse 27. It says, and they, they should seek him and perhaps fill their way, what does it say? Fill their way towards him and find him. Fill their way towards and find them. It's almost, I, I picture that as like blind people, right? Blind people that cannot see, what do they do? They have to fill their way. And it's almost as if God set up the world the way that he set it up so that people would do what these people are doing up on a stage, blindly just trying to figure out life and everything in it and how it's made up and who is, you know, this and that. And, and, and it's also that when we seek, we will find that we have to seek wanting to find and not think that we already have found and now I just need to let you know what it is kind of thing. But we feel our way towards God. That's one of the things I suppose I appreciate so much out of listening to all this babble, you know, uh, is that Jordan Peterson seems to be out of all the people that I've listened to as one who is literally thinking I am blind and I'm not sure what is out there and I just want to find and it, because of that, it seems like he is, like, the closest to really discovering. Whereas Sam Harris is just determined, there's no God and you're not going to convince me otherwise, so therefore I have this presupposition, and so my blindness is, is going to be, I'm sure not going to find God out there, and so I just wander around and I'll just keep wandering kind of thing. But I want to say something. So he goes on to say, Yet, he is actually not far from each of us. I think that's really significant because God has, we are all in search mode. And we feel confident that we have found the answer to why life exists and, 
and why I'm here and where I'm going. And, you know, like we have the truth and we just assume everybody else does not have the truth, even though they think they have the truth. And so we're trying to feel this way, you know, around. And here's the thing is, is that God intended for that to be that way from the very beginning, that we would search and feel our way to him and find him. And he says this, yet he is actually not far from us. So this is Paul talking to these brainiacs, right? I think it's important to pause this for a second because I think this is something that I I can see and hear in these conversations that they don't have any clue about, and that is that they think that, like, we've created this God, and then we create it. In the midst of that, we create heaven and hell, right? That's where people go. And, and Sam Harris gets hung up on that because he thinks that we created hell just so that we would behave rightly. And it's the only way that we, not very uh, educated people, that's the only way to control us because we're not smart enough to go through life and survive, you know, acknowledging that there's no God. We would just, you know, wouldn't be able to handle that. And so we create hell to just get us to behave correctly. We create heaven so that we would strive to be good uh, kind of thing. And, and the thing is, is that it's really not even about, so we've talked about this before, but it, it's so important that it's not about the location, the way that he wants heaven and hell to be. It's about, it's about the who, it's about the relationship. It's about the person. Because Jesus himself, and they just don't, they don't know this. They haven't read it either, evidently, or they just don't grasp it. But Jesus himself defines heaven and hell, eternal life in this. It's in John 17, verse 3, it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's it. And if you're after something else, then you're not understanding what it is that God is trying to give you. He's trying to give you a relationship with him and a relationship with this Jesus. And that's eternal life. Now, there is a place that Jesus is, and he's preparing a place for us. The scriptures say that. I believe that that is true. And at some point, he's going to come, and he's going to collect us all up, and he's going to take us to that place. But it'll be a place that we dwell with him. And that's eternal life is that we are with him dwelling there. And hell is just a place that is you're dwelling forever just apart from him. He's just not there. And that's what they don't seem to grasp a hold of. But here, let's go on to verse 28. It says, For in him we live and move and have our being." which is a little bit what I'm trying to tell you here, right? As even so of our own, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring, bring then God's offspring. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver, an image formed by art or imagination of man. I, I just, I, I can't even think about like how important that is for us to comprehend that for just a second. That we did not create this God. If God exists, God exists. 
right? We didn't create him if he exists. And, and I just want you to think about that. It's not like, you know, art is something that we create. Imagination is something that we think up. We daydream. We, we think up these things. But we can't think that the divine is being, he's like gold or silver or stone or something concrete like that. He is not concrete like that. Now, there are moments when they have these conversations. In fact, two at least out of the three, they get into something, you know, that it just kind of goes to naturally because it's something that they think about a lot. And that is that they think that, that we cannot, you and me, because we are just average, we cannot survive if God is taken out of our life and we don't have heaven and hell because we would not be able to function productively. In other words, you know, Sam Harris believes that with God doesn't exist, and we need to expose this, but we also need to help people understand how to function because they will just destroy their lives quickly if they don't have this. You know, because they'll destroy it with greed and lust and power and pride. And that's the only thing holding us together is that we have a God that says, you do not do this or you'll go to hell kind of thing. And I just find that that's really interesting, you know, to me because the funny thing is is that they think a lot of their intelligence, right? That, like, they got it all figured out and they're the only ones that will survive, so we got to figure out how to help these people that don't really know so much, which is pretty much everybody. And they're just so much higher than us. And what I find that is, and, and of course, he talks often about that we're like primates, you know. We're just evolving, and some of us have just evolved a lot further and better and, you know, greater than others, and which is just hard for me not to think that this man who is so intelligent is so stupid. But anyway, I don't want to get all off track there because we just don't have any, like, show me how that happens. You know, I, you can show me in a book how that happened, like from an ape you went from this, but that's it. It's just from some drawing, but we don't have, anyway, it's this weird that we even, people that, that think so strongly. But, but what's funny to me is that they don't think that they are limited because they are so smart, right? And they are. I mean, I'm just telling you, they are. But they don't think that they're limited because the, the only thing they're comparing themselves to is us. Like, if they compare themselves to Mike, then I can see why they think that they have it all figured out, right? But if God exists, isn't it funny that these people who think that they are so smart that they have him all figured out? If he exists, I'm just saying. If he exists, don't you think that he's up there just thinking, this is so funny that they think that they have it all figured out. To me, see, to me, I can't help but hear them talking and I just think of this like this interaction that toddlers would have, right? So you have this really brainiac toddler, really smart toddler comes toddling up because that's why we call them toddlers, right? They toddle up to each other and so they toddle up to this and so maybe, you know, it's like Elisha and his buddy, you know, toddling up to each other, and they're having this conversation, and, they, and maybe Elisha just starts it out, and he says, well, uh, do, you, do you think that the weatherman is going to allow it rain today? Well, the other one says back to Elisha, well, he said that he's going to, he's 30% ch- certain that it's, he's going to let it rain today. You know, so they're having this conversation back and forth, you know, like, and so they're just like, well, I hope that the weatherman comes through for us today. Like, the weatherman has anything to do with it, right? 
But you can see that from a toddler's perspective, because there was a little bit of limitations to their knowledge, although they would be brilliant if they were having this conversation, would they not, Connor? They would be pretty smart toddlers. But the fact is, is that they would, we would know that they don't have it all figured out. They're just contributing to the weatherman, but they don't realize that there's, the weatherman doesn't determine whether it rains. He's just trying to predict whether it rains, and he's just like a, a guesser. That's what his job is, is just to guess for everybody else. And, but only God causes it to rain. And they would just never, ever have it figured out. And so if God really exists, even though these guys are so smart— they don't even come close to being smart enough to understand God. And that's why I think it's interesting, because like in Isaiah 45, it says, I am the Lord, and there is no one, no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know me from the rising of the sun and from the west. There is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other I form light and create darkness. I make well-being create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And so the best that we can do is to sit around and contemplate these things. Why is there evil in the world? Why is there good in the world? And all these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, it says, For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. And just the reality is, is that all that we can do is sit around and think about this stuff and act like we think we have it all figured out and we'll just never get it figured out. What I know, though, is that it just appears to me that at some point, these brainiacs end up being proved right if they are saying what the Bible says and wrong if they are saying something contrary to the Bible, right? Like there were some really bright people in the world that said it was flat, and now it's round. Although now there's some bright people who are saying that, yeah, it's still flat. I mean, this is really confusing on some of that, right? But the reality is, is that it's it is round because the Bible says it was round. Why? Because God wrote the Bible through people. You know, we have this thing about evolution, and we, we just have these theories, and so we have to try to figure out if our theory is right, and so we have like this telescope thing that looks way back into the, the stars and galaxy after galaxy and after galaxy, and we are just determined that we're going to figure out that, yes, evolution is correct, but we get disappointed when we look so far, billions of years in the future, and we're like, well, it's not, we're supposed to find young. Why are we not finding young? You know, like, why are, why are we not finding something that proves the Big Bang? Or why are we not finding this or that? It, 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 it's, it just is frustrating, I'm, I suppose. And so then we have to come up with new theories and new things. So here's at the heart of what I'm trying to say is we were, we were talking about the time of ignorance is over. So Ephesians chapter 3 says this. When, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 4, it says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in, 
in order in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, heirs of the same body, proclaimers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. So the time of ignorance is gone. Why? Because God has finally unveiled the mystery. What is the mystery? Well, the mystery is in Jesus Christ. And for all of those years, for thousands of years, he just allowed ignorance to be played out because they did not really understand what God was up to. And so therefore, God wasn't holding them accountable to like the way he's going to hold people accountable now that Jesus Christ has come. And now that Jesus Christ has come, every, all the mystery is being revealed. Before Jesus, we had this crazy notion that it was just for the select few people, these, these Israelites. But now the whole picture has been revealed, and that is that it's all for mankind, and that mankind is included in this. It tells us in Colossians the same type of thing. He says in verse 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am lift, filling up what is lacking in Christ's affection to the, the sake of his body, that is the church, of whom I become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. It was hidden for ages and ages, but now the time of ignorance is over. Now Jesus is here. In Romans 1 more, verse six, chapter 16, verse 25, it says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And what is saying is that Jesus is what it was all about from the beginning. You know, these philosophers, one of the things, the hardest thing that they have, they don't stumble as much on, like, Bible teaching as they, they all are just like, I don't even know what to do with this Jesus. Anyway, I want to show you this video real quick of Jordan, and then I'll just throw in a couple comments and we'll close. Our culture grew out of the Bible. It's grounded in the Bible for better or worse. And so if you want to know who you are and why you think the way you think, like you think you know the way you think. You think you think. You don't. Or very rarely. Like the thoughts, thoughts are greater than you are, in some sense. I mean, it's very rare that you don't think, that you think something that someone else hasn't thought. The deepest values are religious and our religious document is the Bible, and the Bible is an absolute mystery. The deepest questions are religious questions, and the Bible is the best answer we have. And if you don't like that, well, fine, do better. Good luck. I, I, I needed to feel like I was wholly responsible for myself and what happened to me. That that I was uh, um, uh, 
not going to let myself slide. There's an ideal calling to you then, eh? Like when, when you experience yourself as ashamed by your own behaviors, what that means is that there's an ideal inside you that's trying to manifest itself, right? Because you wouldn't be ashamed if you weren't comparing yourself to something better. And the question then becomes, well, what is that better thing that you're comparing yourself to? And it's an ideal. And right. then the question becomes, well, what is the ideal? You know, and that's the sort of fleshing out what that ideal is, is the, that's the function of religious thinking. And so that's why I was interested in your comment about agnosticism. You know, um, in, in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, Christ comes back as a judge. Even though he's a figure of mercy, let's say, he comes back as a judge. And the reason for that, this is from Carl Jung, the reason for that is that any ideal is a judge. And so if you posit the highest ideal, then you put yourself in a position where you're judged, and that's when your conscience tortures you. Yep. And so you can discover your ideal that way by having a dialogue with your conscience and say, well, I'm not living up to who I should be. Well, who should that be? Like, where, where does that figure come from? Well, that's right. a great mystery, that. You know, that doesn't mean that it's responsibility that's at the top of the hill. Ah, Okay. In the in the West, I mean, in some ways, Christ is represented as taking the responsibility for all the sins of mankind unto himself, right? Well, that's responsibility. And look, to the degree that each of us are trying to sort out in our own souls complex problems that bedevil other people, we're doing that in a low-resolution form, right? We're taking the fragility and errors and malevolence of mankind onto ourselves and trying to sort that out and that's meaningful although it's also extremely burdensome and you know it can kill you it can crush you and so the responsibility has to be tempered in a variety of ways to make it even bearable Um, you know one of the things that's so interesting about the christian story in my estimation is that that responsibility is so overwhelming that you know it it was even daunting for God himself. Mm. So that's built into the story and said, well, that, that doesn't differentiate Christ much from a whole sequence of dying and resurrecting mythological gods. And of course, people have made that claim in comparative religion. The difference, and C.S. Lewis pointed this out as well, the difference between those mythological gods and Christ was that there's a, there's a representation of there's a historical representation of his of of his existence as well. Now you can debate whether or not that's genuine. You can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that, but it doesn't matter in some sense because this well it does, but there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because there's still a historical story and so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth and in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that, but I don't know. Okay. I don't, I'm amazed at my own belief and I don't understand it. Like, because I've seen. Sometimes the objective world and the narrative world touch You know, that's union synchronicity. And I've seen that many times in my own life. 
And so in some sense, I believe it's undeniable. You know, we have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. That's the world that tells us how to act. It's real. Like, we treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world. But the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that, in principle, is supposed to be Christ. But I don't know what to... That seems to me oddly plausible. Yeah. But I still don't know what to make of it. It's too... Partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. You know, I'm rooting for him, but it would be real easy for you to think that he's already a believer. But what he's a believer in is stories, ancient writings, and he believes that, you know, Jesus existed. Uh, but him being Lord and God's son and resurrected from the dead, uh, he's not, he has nothing to think that that is true. But he's struggling with this, and it terrifies him. He says, what it would mean if, if I believe that. And the reality is, is that that's, that's exactly what saving faith is, is, is truly believing in the Christ, the Son of God. And I'm rooting for him. We'll see, you know. But he's feeling, you know, just like that verse says, he's, God has created all of this, and he's looking at all of it, and he's just like a blind man trying to feel his way through and, and trying to sort this out, just like all of us. Some of us are refusing to even want to see, just like I believe where Sam Harris is, you know, but maybe someday he won't be so stubborn and hard-hearted and really see evidence for what it really leads to and guides to. But the reality is, is that's where we all are. You know, we can just be people who are like where he's at and just play in church, right? We have all this knowledge and it's a story and it keeps me on the it keeps me on the path, I believe, in heaven and hell because if I believe in hell, it'll make me a better person. It'll keep me from doing things that are wrong and bad. But it really isn't nothing more than just a story. And until it becomes a personal relationship with Jesus, we will never actually find eternal life because what is eternal life? It is knowing you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And until we really believe that, we never really will experience eternal life because that's what it is. Anyway, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for such heavy thoughts, but good thoughts. We thank you so much, Father, for your word and how elementary it is. And that us with such low IQs can comprehend such uncomprehendable things just because of the way that you've created us and have revealed yourself to us. And yet people who have such IQs are just swimming in a sea of stuff that it's just overwhelming. And so there's just something that is so deep and yet so elementary. And only you, God, who could create such a thing. We just pray, Father, that you would help us find our way to this relationship with your son, Jesus, and to this relationship with you. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.